you know, when I got the call, this is what she said. I still remember the words. I picked it up and she goes, your dad absconded with the money. I'm Matthew Philp. I'm Elizabeth Thompson. And I'm Erin Hosier. And this is Tell Me About Your Father, a podcast about father figures, daddy issues, and dismantling the paternal mystique. We talk to fascinating people about how much they did or didn't know about the man who helped create them and make them the person they are today. So settle in and listen as we delve into some dad stuff. I'm Erin Hosier. On today's episode, I talk to my old friends, sisters Denise and Andrea, whose dad Michael C. blew up his wife and daughter's lives when he suddenly disappeared from the family home in Singapore in 2003, having secretly fleeced millions over the years from his wife, father, and other family members, and mysteriously fled to China, never to be seen again. To say that Michael C. was a con artist diminishes the word artist. His was more of a grift born of convenience, hubris, and a stunning disrespect for his family, as he ultimately kept his own receipts and the details of his double life for everyone to find. Both women were in their 20s when he disappeared. Listen as they share how their father's example affected their relationships with their now husbands and kids, and how to move on when dad keeps calling to remind you he left. Here's my conversation with Denise and Andrea. Guys, your sisters, mm-hmm. I have known you over 20 years. Denise was my first best friend in college. I met you at Kent State University. Woo! It was the early 90s. Yeah, I think it was 90... 93. 93. And It was like that kind of best friendship where we got together every day in the dorms to watch General Hospital. (laughs) And we just kind of fell in love with each other. Like I found some diary entries from college years where I mentioned, Denise has so much grace. I aspire to those attributes. And you were an artist. I was. You were. I was your muse. You took photographs of me. I did. And we got very enmeshed in each other's lives. You met my dad when Mm -hmm. he was still alive. And I met your family. First, Andrea. Andrea, tell us about yourself. You're two years younger than Denise, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. And um, I live in England right now. So tell me about growing up in Singapore. And what was that like as young children? Were you both in Catholic school? For the most part. Yeah. Yes. All the way through, right? Pretty much primary through to junior college. It was Catholic all the way through. Yeah. In American terms, I think you would say it first grade until high school. So uniform. Always. Yes. We went to the same schools, too, so we had the same uniforms. We sort of knew each other's friends. The first school we went to was an all-girls school. Convent school. Convent school. With a heavy Chinese language focus. Okay. 
fucked up how they let us in. <laughs> yeah, it's who you know. <laughs> so talk about your parents. Your mom was a prominent physician, right? She's sort of the alpha in the relationship. That was my impression. It struck me that both of you always sort of laughed at your dad. Tell me about your childhood and and that dynamic. Like, who ran the show? I mean, I would say that I think our mom was more present. So that's probably why. I mean, even though she worked full-time, she was there more often. She's bright. She had a good career. So, you know, I think her success sort of gave her that level of confidence. And so our dad just wasn't around that much. Where was he? No idea. We don't know. (laughs) (laughs) To uh, add on to what my sister just said, my mom, though in a very challenging job, she started out as a primary care physician. Yeah. Uh, She worked for the government and um, she moved into the administration and worked for the Ministry of Health. Um, Right. Maybe about, I don't know, 10 years into her career. And since then, she had, you know, she climbed the ranks in the Ministry of Health and ended up in a leadership position. Mm -hmm. So her job was always quite demanding, but she did always make it home to dinner. You know, she helped us with our homework. Wow. I think she also, we all knew this. We were young, but we knew she paid the bills. I don't know how we knew this. We just knew this. And at one point, we all, in our family of four, we shared one car. But my dad was always, like, disappearing with the car. Um, So I know he wasn't around on weekends. He wasn't around at nights. Some of my earliest memories are we had to go to school very early in the morning. Like, the school bus picked us up at, like, 6.30 or something. So I would be walking out to go to the kitchen or the dining room for breakfast and that's when I would see my dad. He would be asleep, like curled up on the bed. Now that I think about it, I realize he was probably nursing a hangover. This is not based on facts, just, you know, my best guess. So that's when I would see him, but not really any other time. And on weekends, we would see him occasionally. You know, some of my earliest memories are of me having really bad asthma and my mom having to find a way to get me to the hospital without the car without the car because he (gasps) he was off with the car I think playing golf or Uh something because I think I think he felt that his job was really difficult his job I I remember hearing things like he's a businessman he's an investor When I finally met him in college, I think he told me about some investments he had in some kind of bird, like an emu Uh, or the ostrich farm. No, I think it was the ostrich ostrich farms. He got into this with my uncle, um, but he's been a lot of things. Like I think he he was the kind of guy that tried a lot of things, started a lot of things, but I think he got out of it pretty quickly when things got hard. So, um, you know, he was like some corporate management role. It was always general manager. Yeah, middle management kind of role in, you know, these like trading companies, I think, earlier when we were kids. 
And um, at some point, I think when we were in secondary school, he left that kind of position for um, insurance. Yeah, to sell insurance. That sounds and likely. That sort of worked for a while. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think my mom might have been his best customer. I think he, <laughs> he liked to say that. And I don't know how successful he was at it uh, without sort of the family connects. And um, I think that kind of fizzled out. And at some point, he was in these like pyramid marketing schemes. Mm-hmm. And he just rolled around a lot. He changed his job a lot. We found out later it's because he was like harassing the women at the office, you know, things like that. <laughs> really, <laughs> right? Really wonderful memories. Actually, we don't remember that. I just heard about it later. And Andrea, as the youngest, were you the favorite? Did you guys trade those roles? Being the favorite, it's all, it was all really conditional. So if we did well in school, then it was cool. If, uh, you know, yeah. if we didn't, then it was, you know, what am I going to say to my friends sort of thing. And because I was fairly academic, at least early on. Yeah. So I was the favorite, but Denise did really, really well in college. So she became the favorite, I think at that point, at least, you know, the, the, the child that he could boast about. Yeah. So yeah, I think it was all conditional. And he liked to boast a lot. Yeah. That was part of his thing. One of his hobbies, boasting, womanizing. (laughs) (laughs) So describe your home life beyond the mundane. Like, were there a lot of family photos? Did you know a lot about your dad's family? Was he the kind of guy that would tell tales in my day? He must have grown up in the 60s. Yeah, 50s and 60s. Did your parents get married really young? I think my mom was, what, 25? 25 or 26 when she had you. 27 when she had me. Was she already a doctor? She's a resident in the hospital, so she was almost done. As far as I know, and this is all hearsay from my aunties, from my dad's sister, I think that they met in college. They were both pre-med. He didn't get in, though he ended up going to a different school, and I think he majored in chemistry, but my mom continued into medical school. They were together for quite a while before they got married. You know, the way my mom tells it, she didn't really want to marry him after a while because I think she probably figured out he was not the most reliable person, but I don't know. He uh, ultimatumed her into marrying him. That's from her. I remember when we were younger and, um, you know, feeling his absence. I think I might have been about 12 or 13 or something. And I didn't like my dad already. And I remember asking my mom because she just seemed miserable with him. You know, when we were growing up, we just never saw very much of him. And when he did show up, they would just have the worst fights. It definitely wasn't one-sided. My mom definitely has a stronger command of uh, the English vocabulary. So she had some choice words for him. <laughs> and um, he just was no match for her in that sense. Right. 
I remember asking her after, you know, watching all those fights, why are you still married? Why don't you just get a divorce? And this was the late 80s. I think she was just like, we just, you know, that's just not done in our culture. So you get to college and your parents come out to Ohio to visit. We went for one of those college dinners where you meet your friends. And I remember your dad, he gave me an envelope upon our first meeting. And he was like, this is for you. And I opened it up and it contained a crisp $100 bill. And I was like, what is this for? In Chinese culture, it is customary to shower the friends of our children with money and gifts. And one day you will return the favor <laughs> as the children in Chinese culture will take care of the parents. And I was like, this is great. Cut me in. <laughs> but he was always very proud, trying to like show off. He had a big, he has a big ego. And I think he was raised to have a big ego. He just didn't really have the capacity to really back up that big ego. So, you know, it's just super inflated. I mean, I think he, he had probably quite an interesting childhood with really mixed messages like the whole thing about being quite narcissistic I mean that would have come from his mom he was her only child her only son precious etc and stuff like that but I think because he had an older brother who had showed so much promise and then died young that at the same time with my grandfather again he was precious he was now the only son but he would also never be able to live up to his older brother's sort of memory and his achievements <sighs> So I think gotcha. he would have had that kind of quite difficult mixed like message kind of childhood where he wasn't quite good enough, but he was also amazing. I mean, how did your uncle die? Did you ever know we him? We never met him. Um, he was, so I've just scanned a whole bunch of photos and I got some stories from my aunt, so my father's sister. And basically he went to the UK to study architecture in Oxford. So he played rugby and apparently... Mm -hmm. um, the family in Singapore after a while said, you know, it's really dangerous. You shouldn't play rugby. But he was persuaded to play one last game, which was like a like a traditional game between, I think it was Oxford and Cambridge or something. And he played it. And I think the story was that basically he had an accident. He was kicked in the head and then that killed him. Oof, yeah. So like my grandfather had been preparing to fly over to see him in the hospital, but he died before that. So then they yeah had to ship his body home. So how old was your dad at the time? Is he about nine or 10? Oh, I was going to say 12 or 13, but he was young. Yeah. yeah, he was young. Yeah. Okay. So then he became their everything. And then how did you get on with those grandparents on his side? They praised us for the most part. Yeah. yeah. I mean, my, yeah, as you know, my mom had a demanding job. My dad was not that present. So after school, we would go over to their house, weekends. hang out in the afternoons, yeah. and on weekends, we would stay over. So we spent a lot of our formative years with our grandparents, my dad's parents. You know, I think that um, to add on to also to what Andrew was saying, my grandfather, he's an artist, you know, he's a painter, and he worked as a commercial art director. 
And so, you know, to have a son who also showed all that artistic promise, speaking about my uncle, who was from his first wife, I think he just was very proud to have that kind of son, like someone who took after him, who took after him. Also, my grandfather was kind of like a very sporty guy. He played all kinds of sports and um, good with his hands. Very sort of like your alpha male in some ways. So my uncle was that same kind of guy, right? Like, you know, as you heard, he played rugby, he swam in the sea, like things like that. And my father couldn't be more different from that kind of male. My dad is very sheltered. A lot softer. Yeah, softer, never had to lift a finger. I mean, visually too, right? Like my grandfather, like always had a tan, had muscles and like, you know, even at when we were kids, we mm. remember him showing us his muscles. Yeah, with his various <laughs> yeah, workout equipment. Yeah, with his workout equipment. Yeah. And my dad, I don't think had any muscle tone, Like he was pale. He was yeah. a little chubby. He was pampered because also I think my grandmother was so afraid that she would lose this son. Yeah. He probably was not even really allowed to play any sport <laughs> after his older brother died. So, um, right. I, I don't know. I can't really speak for my dad because he's never really revealed anything to us. But I'm just guessing that this overcompensating, all this boasting does come from a place of probably knowing on some level that he doesn't measure up to like whatever measure of manhood his father might mm. have. For yeah. Him. He was brought up. In a confusing way, he kind of fell short on his own, Mm -hmm. you know, he kind of lacked grit and determination to get through, to finish the job, like whether it was his career or being a father. When things were difficult, he just like gave up. Not a finisher. I think my grandfather never let him forget it either. My grandfather, he was very loving to my sister and I, but I think he was really tough on his own children. When did he come to Singapore or was he always, in, was he raised in Singapore? My father was raised in Singapore, but my okay. grandfather came from China, Amoy, yeah. or I guess you would call it Xiamen now. Yeah. He called it Amoy. Denise, you moved to New York City in like 1997 or something. I was so excited because I wanted to move there too. And so You and I got a place in Brooklyn in like 98, and we both worked at Ms. Magazine. I was an intern, and you had your first kind of big job. Yeah, I was doing design and production. And what were you doing at that time, Andrea? Were you in school? Yeah, I was at university in in Australia. Okay, so you went away to Australia to go to school. And so... We were living together in basically a tiny one bedroom mm-hmm. and everything was normal, sort of, like your parents had visited. And then one day you get a call. It was like the year 2000 or something. Was it 2000? What is this? Which like call? when he just disappeared. Oh, 2003. 2003. Yeah. Because I had graduated in 1999. And then I lived and worked in Singapore for about three or four years before we went to China. So all of this, like all the stuff that precipitated the call in 2003 happened sort of early 2003 before I left Mm. for China. So Mm -hmm. yeah, I remember it very well. I think you should talk about all of the stuff that happened before the call because that's where 
I think it was very interesting. And there was detective work. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. So when, when, when we were little, we lived in a house in a place called Bukit Timah in Singapore. And when we moved out of that house into a condo, so the house was sold and the money had been put into an investment kind of account because the house had belonged to my mom. It was in her name, but she gave my dad power of attorney to invest the money. Sure. So that was in, when did we move? 1990. So that was around then. 1990, was when that, all that happened. So around maybe early 2003, my mom started sort of saying, you know, I want to know what's going on with that money, what the investment's right. doing. And um, I think then because my father had a power of attorney, he was supposed to be the one telling her, but he was um, reticent to let her know what was mm -hmm. going on, what happened to the money. And so I think she was trying really hard to just like be nice about it and ask and nothing ever happened. And then in the end, I think I was just, I, you know, I just said, you're going to have to get a lawyer to you know, compel him to turn over the information. And um, she did have to get a lawyer. Um, <gasps> Even and then, though they were still married. Yes. And living in the yes. same home. <laughs> Supposedly sleeping and, on the, in the same bed and everything. Yeah, so yeah, got a lawyer. And then I think from then, I think the suspicion sort of just really grew about what was actually going on. Because I think then when it came through, it was like the account was no longer there. It was closed. It was, there was nothing there. Oh my God. So, um, I mean, it's been a while now, but I mean, what it eventually came down to was that a few of us that was, I mean, it included my uncle and stuff. We ended up going to my father's office, which he shared with his cousin, because I think they were both still selling insurance plus the, the what's it called? Multi-level marketing pyramid scheme type thing. Um, yeah. So they were both doing that. They shared an office. So we ended up going to the office one evening, pretty unannounced. To basically find all this paperwork. Yeah. Figure out what's happened to the money and where it's gone and stuff like that. And I think he initially, I think he, he said it was gambling. He gambled it and he was really embarrassed and all that sort of stuff. And then when we actually went through all the paperwork and there was loads of paperwork, loads of receipts and everything. Oh. I'm, I'm actually surprised he kept some of these receipts. But it ended up being that he basically... Pissed it up the walls. He he liked going to karaoke bars. And in Singapore, certain karaoke bars are just fronts. Yeah. And um, for naked ladies? Uh, not at the beginning. Yeah. For meeting <laughs> ladies. Meeting ladies from less fortunate countries who have no choice but to take this job. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And maybe gambling. I don't think there was actually any gambling. He just decided, I think he decided that gambling sounded less horrible than what he was actually doing. The truth had to get dragged out. He, would, oh, he didn't yeah. say, oh, I've been frequenting karaoke bars and paying for sex acts. You know, right. like he basically lied and said the gambling thing. But he kept the receipts. Yeah, he kept the receipts. This all comes up later. Okay. So when I got the call that you remember, Aaron, it was that the money's gone, you know, life savings. This is supposed to be like my retirement savings, right? For my mom. Right. So mom's retirement savings are gone. Dad took it. We don't know where it went. We just know the money's gone. I don't even understand this part, but it's like we gave him a month to like come up with 
the money they're like you know to replenish the bank account or to sure. give us an explanation mm. so there's this month deadline of like you tell us where it is now when you think about it it's like how is he going to come up with a huge chunk of money in a month chances are he spent it but i guess no one believed that he could have spent that much money <laughs> but he did and not look different or something Right. So we were just waiting for this month deadline to come around. And yeah. I think um, at this point, that's Andrea... right before I left. It was right yeah. before I left. Yeah. Yeah. So I had moved back home in like the couple of months before I moved to China. So it was during this month that my dad came into my room and started talking to me and said he wanted me to join his downstream on his pyramid scheme. And he would immediately make me a manager. And all I had to do was give him $40,000. <gasps> and I was like, where were you going to get that? Well, yeah, well, I was like, first, <laughs> first thing, I don't have $40,000. Second thing, if I had $40,000, given what we've just been looking through, I wouldn't yeah. give it to you. <laughs> I mean, was the implication that after the month was up, like somebody would go to the authorities or would it be time for divorce or like? What was the one month cutoff meant to imply? I don't know how thought through it was. Yeah, yeah, it was. I just think like, it was like, damn a, it. Yeah, just you know, tell us what happened. You know, I think it was almost like this is your last chance to sort of come clean and right. sort of be honest about what's been going on. Yeah, and, like yeah. we're giving you a shot to redeem yourself as at least a human being. Like, yeah. be honest. Yeah. So would he just hedge? He would never admit to either of you about any, was there an apology? No. No. <laughs> never. Never. No. He never okay. did that stuff. You know, the other thing too is that if, if you think about it, I left Singapore and I never came back, right? Like I right. went to Kent, Ohio, then I lived in New York. Andrea went to school in Australia and then she went home for a few years on and off living at my parents' place and sometimes at her own place. But at the time, she, by that point, was seriously dating who is her husband now, Neil. Mm, yeah. And Neil got a job in China, in Xiamen. And, you know, he was going to go and she wanted to go with him. And I think she was also a little tired of living in Singapore. So, you know, it was her time to get out, see the rest of the world a little bit. Yeah. So she had to go. Like, the timing was not great. He had taken the money. Mm. And he had this one-month deadline. And during that one-month deadline, Andrea had to leave. So I think yeah. she felt a little bit weird about going. But I don't think she should have stayed just to see what happened to the money. So, you know, she left during this point with Neil, which is why I got the call. I think my mom realized like, oh man, I'm alone. I don't want to bother Andrea because she had just left for China. You know, when I got the call, this is what she said. I still remember the words. I was at work. I was at Jane. Oh God. Yeah, I was working. You know, we still had like the landline. I picked it up and she goes, your dad absconded with the money. Oh, shit. And then I'm just like, wait, 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 what, what, what happened? So I think the day of 
his disappearance was the deadline day, right? Yeah. Um, wow. Instead of coming clean, he just cleaned out his accounts. He shredded all his documents. He packed a little bag and he left. But remember, he was also getting money off other people. Remember, he got, oh, yes. Remember, he cleaned out um, his cousin's retirement account. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So yep. he had access to other people's financial information and also exploited them. Yeah, he basically persuaded them to let him invest their money. You know, it's sort of like that typical uh, story that you hear about, except like smaller stakes, right? Like when you think of how Bernie Madoff got away with all of that, he, yeah. he, that guy had definitely more charm and ability to get more money. But my dad was running a similar kind of like, you know, from that playbook of like, I'm going to take your retirement savings, you know, quote unquote, invest it. And you're going to get something back, except like they never got anything back. They just got cleaned out and smaller stakes because he just did it to the people he knew. He did it to his family, the people who trusted him. Yeah. It's not just one uncle. There was another uncle who fortunately has really deep pockets. So like he, you know, might have lost, I don't know, some tens of thousands. But I think they said that they knew that money wasn't ever coming back. And I think there's probably people we don't even know about who he's taken money from, you know, and he would tell like more of like a sob story about, um, oh, grandfather. Yeah. He made up some story about how my grandfather was putting him in the poor house, which is not true. Like my grandfather actually like saved his money. was pretty good with making sure everyone was taken care of. He was responsible. And I think my dad cleaned him cleaned out. out and then well. when he was dying. And then he told everybody that he needed money to look after my grandfather when he was dying. Yeah. I mean, this was a lot of money. A lot of money. Is it fair to say over a million dollars? Yes. Combined with everybody's. Yes. Singapore dollars. Yes. That you know about. So our cousin told me this more recently. I think it was, there was something like 600,000 in my grandfather's account. Jesus. So, yeah. So these aren't just nest eggs. These are family savings, fortunes, like people's livelihoods for their retirement, for their children, mm-hmm. um, for living. Okay. So Denise, you get the call from your mom. She's pissed. Right. He's absconded with her money. That's a, this is yeah. all we know at this point. And I remember thinking, all right, I think I have to step up because, you know, this is the first time Andrew's gotten to leave. So I got the next flight home. And um, when I found my mom and saw that, like, my dad had left, like, he definitely, he packed that little bag. He left. My mom and I and um, her sister and her brother-in-law just started to follow the trail. Uh, You know, we went to the banks. We tried to just figure out how much money there was missing. So we know that he cleaned out her savings. There's nothing really else you could say about that. He had also racked up a bunch of credit card debts. He wasn't paying any of his bills. You know, so he was a member of one of these like private clubs. He hadn't paid his bill for that for ages. You know, he was in the red there, credit cards. He had taken a second mortgage on our home that we didn't know about. So it was just like, 
you know, my mom was now suddenly like saddled under a mountain of debt and we couldn't figure out where the money went. And our uncle, true to his, uh, I guess, you know, he was definitely like the, the major sleuth here. He went to my dad's office. He grabbed all the papers out of the shredder bin <laughs> and like painstakingly put them all back together. Um, what? It took a few weeks, but he did it. And wow. like we, when we went through the documents and the receipts, we just realized where the money went. It was, he just spent it slowly. All there's no it. like, there's no mystery of like, oh, you know, he lost it in one big loss. Mm. No, he had just been spending the money over the years, spending extravagantly. And when you think about it, it really makes sense. Like he just basically was getting money in from everybody so that yeah. he could live this extravagant lifestyle. Of which, like, you know, we never really saw much of it because we were away in school. And when we were younger, we just saw him. We didn't even see him coming home. We just saw him nursing in a hangover the next morning as we're going to school. And we never saw him on the weekends. That's where all the money went. Like, it was just, you know, drinks on me. Like, he's mm. that guy. He's the drinks on me. I'm going to buy a round for the house. And then not to mention the karaoke. They had, like, this term for... I don't know, some kind of sex act in the karaoke yeah, really? lounge. And like, you you know, on the invoice, you can't say like blowjob. <laughs> right. Right. You can't say like handjob from the lady. It's right? like the champagne room in the karaoke bar. Right. Like, I think yeah. the karaoke bar, they're all a giant champagne room, I think. I don't know. I've never in been Singapore. to that kind. Yeah. yeah, but in Singapore. Yeah. And so like on the receipt, it says something like, 50 cups of tea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, I think that's code for something. Yeah, it was like, it, I mean, that's yeah, it was like $1,000 a night or something sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, wow. and it turns out like one of the ladies who was giving him lots of tea was also like his private mistress. So a lot of the money was going towards like buying her designer handbags or, you know, taking her to English class. I don't know. Setting her up in a home and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, he just wanted to feel like a big man. So he was going to pay for it. How long had that been going on with this one woman? And then you guys identified her? Well, we never met her, but right. we know her name is Lilan. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, <laughs> which translates to gift basket. Um <laughs> <laughs> How long do you think it was going on? I really don't know. Um, I don't know. I think it might have been a couple of years or something, but wasn't it that it was his cousin who eventually told us? Mm. He was caught red-handed because turns out he had one too, I think. Yeah. A mistress. A gift basket. Not the same <laughs> one. <laughs> but I think they were, I think they were like, you know, thick as thieves, kind of doing this sort of thing together. Because, you know, I mean, these are guys... Middle-aged guys, this is their midlife crisis. They need to feel like men again, you know. So I think traditionally these older guys in Singapore do end up getting mistresses who come from countries where this is the only way out. Mm. So that's their avenue, right? Like that's that transactional relationship that makes everyone, um, you know, there's something in it for everyone. Mm. (laughs) So your mom found out right away then? 
all within a month of him disappearing, the truth came tumbling out, whether it was from the way my uncle like painstakingly pieced together the shredded receipts to like his cousin finally caving and telling us the truth. It just sort of all pieced together. We just got a clearer story that he basically pissed all the money away, just like partying it up. And I think as the money ran out, he just kept asking other people for money so he could continue this lifestyle. Mm. And what was her reaction that you observed, your mom? Like, was she tearful? Was she no. angry? I got cold fury. Cold fury. I remember going back sort of quite soon as well to be in the flat because mom was going away somewhere. So I went back to be in the flat so that it wasn't left unattended in case he turned up. I remember doing that. Yeah. Yeah. But he never came back. Yeah, he never came back. He was afraid because he's saying his cousin that he managed to convince to hand over their life savings. I think they had sort of threatened to, you know, go to the police. So I think he was afraid of that. He was afraid that all the people that he got money off were going to report him. Right. Yeah. What did you think, Denise? Did you try to call him? Did he have a cell phone or anything at that time? Didn't he call you? And he wrote a letter. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So he left letters for a few people. Mm. I know he definitely left my mom a letter thinking that that would absolve him or at least like give him the last word. I don't think he was looking for absolution. I think he was in his own way, like paying her back, you know, for for the years of like not making him feel like a man, whatever that means, right? Paying her back by taking all her money yeah. be because she emasculated him, basically. Essentially, yes. Or at least that's how he saw it, right? Mm, yeah. I think... I think we can all be like super, uh, I don't know, like, how would I say this? I can totally see where my mom stands. And like, you know, I think it's because I have some wells of empathy that I can actually see from his point of view. But obviously, I, I don't agree with it. And I think he obviously yeah. was the one that did all the wrong or most of the wrong. I mean, you know, if you really think a woman is emasculating you or, I don't know, not treating you the way you should be treated, just get a divorce, right? You don't have to do something like this. Yeah, just take half the money. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. Anyway, so, yeah, so this is, so he left paper letters. He left one for my uncle, the one who pieced together all the receipt. And mm -hmm. like he sent one to my address in New York. So I don't really recall what he wrote to my mom and my uncle, but they were all quite similar. Like it, they just said something about how he has left Singapore. He's going to have like a simple life. Something about his therapist um, saying oh. that he needs to just, you know, he's under too much stress. He really needs to just like go away and like, you know, yeah. calm down. And then, you know, you'll hear from me again. Like, you know, like we're all so worried about him. That's what your letter said? They might have just been photocopies of each other. Now that really? I think about it, because I think they all said the same thing. Wow. And then over the years, so there was a few more years of this, he would send me letters and mm. try to get into why he left. But they were really, you know, they were like ramblings. And I think half of them were filled with lies, you know, because right. he would say that he was in a place called Xi'an in China. But like the postmark would be from Shanghai. So I'm just like, so where are you? Right? Like, are you, yeah. are you really where you say you are? 
Because I think he was trying to be in his mind slippery of like, oh, you know, I'm not going to tell him where I am. So I'm just going to make this up. Like we're going to go to China to try and find him a giant place that we've never been to before. <laughs> yeah. Talk about a big country to disappear in. Right. So that was smart. And he kept saying in his letters that, oh, I'm doing so much better. You know, he, he said that he got a job as like a personal assistant to an important businessman, all caps, you know, in the letter. An important businessman. Yeah. Personal assistant, you know, when he's like doing translations. So I was like, okay, good for you. You found a job. And, you know, he's like, I'm just living the simple life. How's your mom? And he said, just so you know, she wasn't that great of a wife to me. You know, like he just would always like come back with like the backhanded diss at my mom constantly, like in those letters. So, you know, and it's not like I could respond. There was no return address. I mean, I would just read the letter and be like, he's like truly lost it. And then he would just call me because he had my cell phone number like randomly at different times. Like he would call me on like my birthday yeah. Or call me like, you know, other random times. And it always just put me in the worst mood because I would just hear him lying, lying, yeah. lying, lying on the phone. And I would just get so annoyed and so mad at him because like, I would ask him to tell me the truth. Like I would basically, you know, state the truth and say, did you do this? And he would just like wiggle out of it or just come up with some other thing. Like he would just deflect, 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 never, never, never tell the truth. So it was just so frustrating to be on the phone with him. And, you know, but, you know, he is my father. So there is that point where I'm like, well, is he actually okay? But like, I couldn't get too caught up in that because someone like him would use that against me somehow. Right. Like I, I knew that if I was too sympathetic, he would try and exploit it. What were you getting, Andrea? Like, what were you hearing from him? Right. So because I think I was in Singapore when we were looking all this stuff up. So I'm saying because I lived in Singapore for a few years. So I think we butted heads quite a lot. So I think because Denise was away in New York, so she became the favored one because she didn't butt heads with him anymore. So that's why he wrote to her and called her. He never called me. I was in China. He never called. Yeah, I was was in a different part of China, but I was in China. And so we know he was in Shanghai, right? Wow. That's probably why he didn't call you. He never called me, right? Never, I've never heard from him, right? Um, yeah, and um, I mean, I did go to China for, uh, the, go to Shanghai for work and stuff. Okay, so he had a friend who opened a restaurant in China. Remember Chen Salvatore? Oh, Pasta Fresca. Yeah, yeah, Pasta Fresca. So he opened one in Shanghai. So I think, uh, like, I don't know how we managed the detective work, but established that that's what he, that's what he had actually gone to do. He moved to Shanghai and started at least working with his friend in Shanghai. In a restaurant? Yeah, I don't know doing what, probably general manager. <laughs> but I, I remember like going to Shanghai for work and I have passed the restaurant and sort of looking. But yeah, I've never seen him. I've never, uh, I went to Shanghai two or three times for work and I never saw him. Big place. Ugh. And your mom, did she ever talk to him again? Not he might have sent her the odd letter. I don't know. He might have sent another letter at some point, but I don't recall. But not the screaming match that I envisioned. Yeah, no, he never gave her the satisfaction. But I think they like fought enough over the years. I think he knew <clears> that she had no respect for him. You know, I think in Singapore, you, I think after a year of abandonment, you can get a divorce. So she did. I just remember my sister and I going with her. 
to the court. Yeah, to court. Oh. Yeah. You know, in support for like, you know, this in, in absentia divorce, which I think was good. She needed to do it. But I, yeah. you know, I, I remember looking at her and just thinking that I've never seen her look defeated. And I think she did. Because, you know, she really did try to tough out the marriage for 30 years of like being mm. married to a guy that Ugh. basically just started going to bars every night when your children are babies. Someone who never contributed financially, who didn't provide emotional support or even like a physical presence. You know, yeah. like I said, he would disappear with the car on the weekends when like the children need to go to the hospital. Yeah. I think she really toughed it out as much as she could. And then, you know, to add insult to injury, he like took all her money. So she did all the things she was supposed to do. And, you know, that was <laughs> that was the payback. So, yeah, she was a little unhappy. You know, she not a little. She was very unhappy. You could tell. Yeah. Don't you have to get a divorce in absentia by posting something in the newspaper? Yes. Mm -hmm. Isn't that how it works? Yeah. And then if that person doesn't contest it. Yeah, they did do that. Put out ads, uh, like notices in papers in China and stuff. Tried to sort of guess where he might be and yeah, do all that. I remember that. Yeah. So eventually, Denise, I think I remember you like stopping taking calls. Like, I'm not going to pick up when I see this international number or a random number on my birthday. Right. Yeah, when I saw 86, I never picked up. Um, okay. But that was sort of in the last few, last year or so when I was living in New York, when I just finally just didn't want to be frustrated and angry on my birthday. Um, so I think in 2010, I left New York, right? And so yeah. I, I didn't have my phone number anymore. Um, yes. cause you know, Davidson and I went traveling, you know, so we didn't really have an actual number for about 10 months. And then when we moved to the Bahamas, you know, just got a different phone number. So that's how I stopped hearing from him. Cause that was the only way he could reach me was my old cell, my old 917 number. I mean, where is he now? Do you know if he's alive? We have no idea. You have no idea. Some people said they saw him in Singapore, so he might have gone back. But that's kind of the last I heard of it. Um, I mean, I think at some point, LinkedIn, you know how like mm, they just yes. sort of snoop around and send you messages and say, you might know this person. So LinkedIn, uh, I think I got an email from LinkedIn saying, you might know Michael C. <gasps> and like, so I went and... Fucking LinkedIn. I clicked on it and there he was. He was on LinkedIn. You when was this? Like five years know, ago? Yeah, about five years ago. I was like, oh, still working. <laughs> <laughs> what did it say? What did it have his fake resume or was he a middle manager somewhere? It didn't look like he was employed anywhere. Okay. You know, it looked like he might have been looking for, for work. Wow. But uh, you know, he looked older. It just looked like him, same face, but just a lot older. Gray hair. He lost weight as well. Well, you know, like he probably can't like eat camembert and foie gras and drink all the wine. You know, he's got a reduced budget. So, yeah. okay, both of you are married to men and you have children with men. Mm -hmm. Tell me, Andrea, about because it must have created some trust issues at some point in your life. Denise, you and I are so close and 
I never thought you would have a family. You know, it was a tough 10 years of like, I don't want that kind of light. I don't want that kind of responsibility being locked in with the father of your children. But <laughs> you guys both have successful <laughs> marriages and kids. So talk about how that affected what you looked for in a partner and becoming mothers and what are the qualities that you looked for in a partner? So I think that um, our dad being absent was probably quite a good thing in that sense because he didn't impress those values on us. It wasn't quite as, you know, like this is the kind of relationship that people have all the time. And saying, yeah, they didn't get along, but because it was, it, it was so rare, I guess, that we saw them yeah. interact. That Yeah, for me anyway. But I think because of all that, I mean, I think I do have a little bit of a self-destructive streak, mm. but generally speaking, yeah, I, I think with Neil, it was the, you know, probably personality-wise, hopefully as far away from, from what my father is like as possible. He is. Yeah. And I mean, I, yeah, I mean, it's, I remember it's like my dad did not like Neil. Oh, he met Neil. He met Neil maybe once or twice, but he never liked him, I think, because my father being the sort of like traditional Chinese man was like, you know, you will respect me. And Neil's like, not till you earn it. Yeah. So. Okay. So they never, yeah. And I guess the other thing that I look that, you know, comes out with time is not something that, you know, you don't talk to someone about right away, but it's looking that they're responsible with money. Yeah. Dependable and trustworthy. Yeah. How about you, D? When did you realize you wanted to have children? with this man, Davidson, your husband, and what makes a good father? Well, the thing is, I don't think I really knew I wanted any of this, right? Um, like, I think you and I, like, when, especially like in our years in New York earlier on, I was never looking yeah. to get married and have kids. And I remember telling my mom when I was younger that I never wanted to have children. Yeah. Because, you know, I don't know, I just kind of equated like married life with children with misery. Right. Right. Because sure. I think that's what I saw in, in their dynamic. And it wasn't like, a oh, then I closed myself off. I mean, I definitely dated, but I didn't really date to find like a life partner, you know, like I don't think I was looking for that because I didn't really want that. I didn't know what I wanted, honestly. Yeah. I mean, I was in my 20s. Exactly. But I think I just sort of met Davidson and he was more conventional so you know I think like on our second or third date he was just like just so you know I want to get married and have kids and I was like uh-oh wow you know? and I remember thinking oh I don't know if I want to do that but you know I liked Davidson and I thought he was someone that I wanted to get to know better so I was like all right fine you know I'll entertain the idea and I mean, and then here we are now. <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, the interesting thing about my relationship with Davidson is that when I first met him, I didn't think he was anything like my dad. Right. And which is, I mean, sadly, that's what I look for. Sure. If like a guy that I date, like even starts to remind me of my father, that's when it's over. And I think back then that was it. I just had no idea what I was looking for, but I knew what I didn't want. Yeah, like if a guy started to like act sort of a foolish, I was like, all right, we're done. So Davidson was always reliable, like emotionally reliable, always yeah. has been emotionally reliable and loyal. 
So um, even though we've had like, maybe not the easiest road of it, like I knew that I could trust him. So yeah, I think he somehow really understood like our family dynamic as well. Obviously not as dysfunctional, but um, I think yeah. he understands like when you grow up in a household where the parents are not loving, like what that can do to your psyche. <laughs> Both of your husbands are involved fathers, right? They have like mm -hmm. different kinds of relationships than you had with your dad. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Like they can talk to him and oh, yeah. touch him. And <laughs> right. Right. Like they're there every night to say yeah. goodnight to the kids. Right. Like they're, yeah. they, they fix some of the meals. They, yeah, they spend weekends with them. Right. You can count on them to be involved with the children. Um, I think my dad just set the bar really low as well. You know, like <laughs> when we, cause I mean, not just talking about like our own husbands, like, you know, you know, especially during this pandemic, you know, we've been yeah. home with our kids. You know, we've seen other families where the fathers are so involved, like you know, even like the primary caregivers. I marvel at that. And I think, oh, maybe it's a cultural thing. Like maybe Singaporean dads in the 80s and 90s just in general probably were less involved anyway. Mm. So that was sure. a cultural norm for him. But here in certain parts of America, <laughs> you know, you have dads who are just as involved as moms. And that's really eye opening, right? Well, how is your mom today? She's okay. Still in Singapore. She's financially stable. I mean, she was always pretty good with her money. And especially after being wiped out, she mm. was very um, frugal. Yeah. Super yeah. frugal. She was still working. And so, you know, she, she's been very careful with her money. She'll be fine. I think she's happy now, from what I can tell. She has a social life. She's yeah. had friends who have been widowed or people who are married, but like, you know, in name only. So she has plenty of friends now. She has things to do. Yeah. yeah. She has family to take care of. I mean, I think she wishes she could see her grandchildren. I mean, I wonder if, if she had married someone else and they had a better relationship, if Andrea and I would not have ended up overseas. Interesting. Yeah. I don't know. Really? Yeah. The reason I say this is because I think the only thing that she might miss the most is that she doesn't get to see her grandchildren because we used to be able to travel. But right now with the pandemic, we haven't yeah. seen her in a couple of years. Like no one right. can travel to see each other. So we just sort of, you know, she's watching the kids grow up on Google Meets. Yeah. On screen. And, uh, <laughs> and like they just keep getting bigger and taller and she can't see them. Right. So I think that's hard for her and friends and family have you know, their grandchildren, you know, their kids went home to Singapore, maybe married Singaporean men. But mm -hmm. I think to me, like whenever a guy reminded me of my dad, I would just like run for the hills. And, you know, so like finding like a Chinese Singaporean man who reminded me of my dad, there's got to be something about guys like that, that remind me of my dad. So, yeah, <laughs> I mean, even Davidson, who couldn't be further away from my dad, sometimes does things and it reminds me of my dad. But then I realized, oh, it's just He's just being a man, but it's just sometimes like it's that irrational part of me, right? That thinks any form of masculine, aggressive posturing reminds me of my dad. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, fair. I mean, COVID, did it make you think of your dad when there was the first breakout mm. or no more than usual? I would say because we, we've been 
so caught up with just uh, survival really and like yeah having kids at home and like my kids are back in school now but initially yeah when when everything locks down and having the kids at home you're just surviving so yeah you don't really have time to think of anything else yeah. What do you tell your kids about <laughs> their bio grandpa? For us, um, they don't have any grandfathers because Neil's father died in 2004. So they don't have any grandfathers. They've only got grandmothers. So they have asked and I've said in sort of, you know, age appropriate language, yeah. sort of what happened. And it might be because I'm, I'm too matter of fact about it. That mm -hmm. like my older daughter went to a friend's house to play and there was another friend there who her father is not with the mother. He's still around, but he, yeah. they're not together. And I think maybe he's not a around as much as he could be. And apparently my daughter just went, she was like, oh, maybe he's been a bad guy and had to go off or something. She said something just really matter <laughs> of fact and apparently like quite sort of surprised and upset the other girl. And I was just like, she doesn't mean it in a way to hurt you. It's just because that's what happened to us. She just sort of like said it, I think just, you know, really matter of fact, because I'm not emotional yeah. about it. So she's probably not getting emotion of it. But yeah. yeah. Uh, what have you told your kids? Well, yeah, when they ask, because, you know, they have another grandpa, right? David's his dad, who they're right. very close with, you know. Okay. They love their grandpa. So they have asked. Because they're like, where's yours? Where's 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 your dad? Because, you know, we love this grandpa. And they know they have two grandmas. So I I basically told them the truth as well. I was like, well, he left. They're like, where did he go? And I'm like, well, like, he left because he took all of your grandmother's money. And he doesn't want to give it back. So he left. And um, I think they sort of understand that. You know, like kids, if you just explain it to them on that level, they're just like, oh, yeah. You know, if I took yeah. something and I didn't want to give it back, I guess I would leave it ever come back <laughs> and see my family again. Um, so I've told them that and they're like, oh, okay. And then, you know, sometimes they come back and they're like, so is he a bad guy? And, you know, yeah. and I just say, yeah, he did some bad things. I was like, he, he did some bad things then. I don't know what he's like now. You know, people change. Maybe he's gotten better, but we'll never know. But yeah, they, they want to know. And they seem satisfied with the answer of like, he just left and never came back and he's disappeared. And then they sometimes go, well, where is he? And I'm like, I think in China, but you never know. I don't know where, uh, where else he could go anyway. Um, and they also understand that China is very big. So there's like no way we would like run into him somewhere someday. But you know, like, you know, to go back to um, something you said, Aaron, earlier about you know, when my dad used to kind of call me out of the blue after he disappeared, I remember there was a year he called and like, it was the most random line of questioning, which like made me a little upset because I think this was like Andrea and I had just gotten married. Andrea got married. When did she get married? In 2008? 2008, yeah. And then I got married in 2009, right? Really? So yeah. both wow. of us had just gotten married. And like out of the blue, he called one day and he was just like, so is your sister married? And I was like, yes. And then he goes, who did she marry? I was like, Neil. <laughs> who else was she going to marry? And then he goes, oh, okay. You know, because he didn't like Neil, right? He's like, yeah. so rude. So rude. That's what he thinks of Neil. <laughs> rude. Rude. <laughs> So I was like, yep. He goes, does she have any children yet? And I, I was like, nope. 
And then he goes, what about you? Do you have children? And uh, I was like, no. And then he goes, did you get married? And I'm, yes. <laughs> that was like the weirdest um, conversation to have with your father. Yeah. Like, you don't know if I have children or I've gotten married. So I guess you might as well ask, right? And like every answer was no, 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 and no. And then he goes, oh, oh, okay, that's fine. All right, that's fine. <laughs> I guess that's him showing that he cares. He just wants to know if we got married or had children. Um, and then I think he just got off the phone. Wow. And I remember just thinking, God, what a jerk. So he doesn't know. He doesn't know about them, about your children. I don't. I think it's easy enough to find. We're on social mm. media. If he was really, that's true. I think that's if anyone true. was really um, motivated enough, it wouldn't be too hard to figure that out. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe he knows he has grandchildren, but you know, he disowned us. Oh, he threatened to disown us. When he wanted to put in his will that if we oh, married outside will. our race, that we would be disowned. But then I think his lawyer told him, "You can't do that." Yeah, that's racist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like he would be leaving you the money that he stole from you in the beginning nah, it would be just no debts. money just dead <laughs> he spent it so like it's kind of good because then we are not responsible for his for the bills that he racks up oh, yeah so gosh. i think you know i think he probably would have disowned us because we didn't marry chinese men right what has helped you through, well, probably your relationship with each other. It's fortunate you guys are so close, right? Right after this happened, I did start therapy. And I think it definitely helped me deal with it. Because I was super depressed. I couldn't get out of bed. Mm. I definitely thought, okay, this is the point where I need help. I won't be able to do this on my own. And yeah. uh, I think that's where the word narcissist, that's how it entered my, mm. my lexicon. I think the therapist at the time explained narcissism to me and explained like what he believes that my dad had, which is borderline personality disorder. Yeah. Because I think my mom believed he was just like a pure narcissist. And I never thought he was a pure narcissist because I don't know, I feel like narcissists are more successful. <laughs> And I don't think he really did a great job with his like nefarious schemes, right? I think they just sort of were dramas. He was just covering his ass the entire time. It was just like panicking. Like I ran out of money. I got to find a new way to like, you know, pay for my partying. So my therapist at the time said, he sounds like your classic borderline, not a narcissist, but they're very similar. A borderline is just a narcissist that harms themselves all the time. Mm. which makes sense for my dad. You know, I didn't go to therapy or anything, but I basically built, at the time, it's not up anymore, but I built like a satirical kind of website, like a virtual begging bowl sort of told from his perspective. Mm. Written in his voice. Yeah, so I like laid out the story and stuff from, from his sort of like how life was so unfair to him and stuff like that. And I oh, mean, it kind of helped because I wrote it all out. I just wrote everything. Um, it's like narrative therapy. Yeah, and I mean, just looking at it, how ludicrous the entire thing was. Yeah, I mean, that's how I deal with things. I write everything down. Yeah. Same. I remember that site. It was really well done. What was it called? Uh, SaveMichaelC.com. <laughs> that's right. Yes, yes. I remember it was really done well because 
she did capture his tone of voice where it's like, blame everybody, pity me, give me money. Yeah. You even had like a running tally of how much money yeah. he owed. I think at the time the running tally was like two million something. But I think that there was actually more that we didn't know about at that time. Amazing. Well, thanks for nothing, Michael C., <laughs> if you're listening. That's for sure. Oh, yeah. that would be They're amazing. They're doing though. great. <laughs> I could send it to him on LinkedIn. Oh, my God. <laughs> no, then he's going to like reach out to us and ask us for money. <laughs> Tell Me About Your Father and Daddy Issues are created and produced by Aaron Hosier, Elizabeth Thompson, and Matthew Philp. You can always listen for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google, and anywhere you get your shows. Follow us at Tell Me About Your Father on Instagram and Facebook. Subscribe to our bi-weekly newsletter that accompanies new episodes at tellmeaboutyourfather.com. And for bonus content, go to patreon.com slash, you guessed it, Tell Me About Your Father where for as little as $3, you'll get access to an extra episode of Daddy Issues every month. Oh, and Apple Podcasts is like the New York Times book review of platforms. So if you can, go there to rate and review us. We'd love to hear what you think.